Welcome to the Harmony Christian Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by today's message from Pastor Josh Shoemaker. All right. Well, it's the Christmas season. Last week, we talked a little bit about Advent. This week, we're going to begin a little mini series called His Name Will Be. And we're going to talk about the different names they call Jesus during the Christmas season. And so um, we're going to nerd out a little bit. Do you guys, are you guys all right nerding out a little bit with the Bible? All right. That means, that means you got to stay awake during the parts that maybe feel a little slow. Right. Right. Because there's going to be some teaching and some, some little things here and there. I'm going to mispronounce a whole bunch of Greek and Hebrew words and you're just going to have to deal with it. All right. Um, but yeah, so we're, we're going to talk about just the different names of Jesus that they were, they, they gave Jesus throughout, uh, this Christmas story and the significance of it. Nothing in the Bible is insignificant, not a word, not a name, not a letter. Every bit of it has significance. Every bit of it, as you, as we'll learn. And as you'll see, as you study scripture, every period, every word points to Jesus, points to Jesus. And we're going to see that some even a little bit today. Uh, But let's go ahead. If you have your Bibles, open up there to Matthew chapter one, Matthew chapter one, we're going to start in verse 18. We are going to skip the genealogies this week, but next week you're not getting out of it. All right. We're going to hit those genealogies next week, but this week we're going to start in verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make a public spectacle or a public example of her, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about it, while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Everybody say son of David. We're not going to talk about that this week, but next week we're diving into son of David. Let me tell you, it's going to be a roller coaster. It's a lot of fun. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to make, to take to you, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Everybody say Emmanuel. Emmanuel. We're going to talk about that on Christmas Eve, Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph being aroused from sleep did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. And he did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Guess what we're talking about today? Jesus. Going to talk about Jesus. The Bible can be kind of an intimidating book to approach, can it? There's a lot of little nuances in the Bible. There's a lot of details that 
are hard to grasp. You know, the Bible, uh, to read it correctly and to really pull from what the scripture is saying, you have to really be able to study the context, the historical uh, pieces, the cultural pieces, the linguistic pieces, even the literary pieces of scripture to really be able to pull out the fullness of what the Bible is trying to tell us. And so it can be kind of intimidating to jump into the Bible, to read the Bible and to study it, to be able to understand it. But really the Bible is a lot of little stories, a lot of little details that all tell one big story, right? It's like those picture mosaics where if you get up real close into the picture, you see all these little small pictures, right? But the further you step back, you begin to see that these little pictures make one big picture. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You've seen those before, those mosaics. And those little pictures all fit together to form one big picture. But you have to kind of stand back to be able to see the fullness of the mosaic, right? The Bible is a lot like that. There's a lot of little details that when you get up and close, you can see all the beauty that makes up Scripture, but when you step back, you realize that it's all telling one big story. So that one big story is, can be kind of summarized in this. That God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit lived together in perfect love and in unity for all of eternity past. And in that unity, they decided that they wanted to share that love with another. So the Bible tells us that they created man. And it says that when they created man, they, they didn't just make another creature like another animal or another, another bird of the air. No, it says that this one, this creation, was made in their very own image and likeness. That this creation shared the qualities and the attributes of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he created this being, this being called mankind, to share in the unity and the love that the Father, Son, and Spirit share together in perfect harmony. And it was beautiful. God said that it was very good. But then something happens. Sin enters into the picture. This beautiful mosaic, there's this one little piece called sin that comes in and begins to corrupt the mosaic. And sin, you know, oftentimes when we think of sin, we think of uh, a, a moral failure or an action or a deed that was wrong, right? That something we did was wrong, but sin is so much deeper than that. Sin comes from the Greek word hamartia. Hamartia in its literal sense means to miss the mark, means to miss the mark. In Greek literature, the word hamartia meant the fatal flaw of the hero, right? So hamartia is the kryptonite to Superman. It's the heel of Achilles. It's the ring of Gollum, right? The high ground of Anakin. I'm showing my nerd a little bit there. <laughs> it's the fatal flaw of the hero. But where it really gets interesting when you talk about sin and hamartia is when you begin to break down this word hamartia and realize that it comes from two uh, root words. The first one being the word ha. The word ha there means without. And then the second word that makes up the word hamartia, which means sin, 
is the word meros, which means with which means form, or uh, let me. I'm sorry. Let me let me make sure I say this right. It means without form or portion. So when you put this word together, ha and meros, to create hamartia, it says this: that is without form or portion, which means this: it points to a distorted identity. It reports or it. Um, it points to a bankrupt identity. And so what is sin at its core? Sin at its core is not actually the action or the mistake. Sin at its core is a distorted identity. That when we fell, we not only did something wrong with our actions, but we lost the identity that we had in Christ. We lost the identity that we had when God said that he made us in his image, in his likeness. That image became distorted through this thing called sin. And so hamartia is much more than an action. It's actually a distortion of our identity. So God created man in his own image and likeness. And when sin entered the picture, it distorted man's image. What was once pure and holy and righteous like God became distorted, bankrupt, and broken. But even in this, God's love would not be stopped. Even in this, he already had a plan on how to bring back and restore the identity of his sons and daughters. That God the Son would be the Lamb that was slain. The Messiah that would come and make all things new. So throughout history, from the moment that man fell, God began dropping little breadcrumbs, little prophecies, little trails to tell us that somebody was coming. All throughout the Old Testament, the prophets begin prophesying and sharing words like this out of Isaiah verse nine, or chapter 9. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of, the, of his government and peace, there will be no end. And little breadcrumbs, just like this one, scattered throughout the Old Testament, telling us that there's going to be a Messiah that is going to come and is going to redeem the lost identity of mankind. And not only does he leave these breadcrumbs through the prophets in their words, but he also is telling the story filling in the mosaic with the story of humanity. So you see it like this. Let me, let me explain it like this. He's telling the story throughout humanity, throughout the Old Testament. So here's what that looks like. It tells us in Matthew chapter 12, that just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. That Jesus would be in the earth for three days and three nights. Then you go to stories like in Moses where he makes the bronze serpent. Remember that story? And the Bible says that as Moses holds up the bronze serpent, that just as Moses held up the bronze serpent and those who beheld it were healed, that Jesus will be lifted up 
And those who look upon him will be made whole. That just like Joseph had brothers that rejected him. Brothers that left him and, and, and disowned him. That just as they disowned him, but he would then, Joseph would then rise up and become their deliverer. That Jesus would have those who would reject him and disown him, but he would rise up and become their deliverer. Stories scattered throughout scripture. Jesus is the manna. That falls from the sky that sustains Israel in the wilderness. Jesus is the water from the rock that, that Moses struck. Jesus is that water. Jesus is the Passover lamb that the Israelites sacrificed so that the death angel would pass over them. Jesus is the last Adam that while the first Adam through his one action, his disobedience affected all of mankind that through the one action and obedience of Jesus, that all of mankind would also be affected. Jesus is the Isaac who was to be sacrificed. Jesus is Abigail as she rode the donkey to make atonement for Nabal's sins. Jesus is Melchizedek, the priest and king. Jesus is Moses, as Pharaoh ordered the death of all male babies, and how also how Pharaoh had ordered the death of death of all male babies, and just how Herod had ordered the death of all male babies. That Jesus is scattered throughout the Old Testament. And that's where the Bible becomes fun, ladies and gentlemen. As you're reading that Old Testament, the Bible, it's, it says that the real fancy word for it is it's Christocentric, which means everything points to Jesus. And God is telling this giant story and he's painting this mosaic, this, this large story with these little stories of this man that is to come that will save us from our sins. Jesus told the religious leaders in John 5, 39, you search the scriptures for in them, you think you have eternal life. And they are these that testify of me. Jesus is sprinkled throughout the entire Bible for thousands of years from the time sin distorted mankind. God kept telling his people through the prophets in their lives that a savior was coming to restore their image to his own likeness. And then finally, after thousands of years of laying out the breadcrumbs, thousands of years of painting this mosaic and this picture on a holy night in a little town called Bethlehem, in a humble stable, we reach the climax of our story. And Jesus, the Messiah, is born. That all throughout the Old Testament, he was saying, he's coming. Listen, he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. And then finally, on Christmas morning, Advent is over. The waiting is over. And Jesus is born. The long-anticipated Messiah was born. And he was given the name Jesus. He was given the name Jesus. Now, of all the names that God could have called him, why did he choose Jesus? Why not Frank? Or Buzz? Or Bob? 
Why Jesus? You know, we talk about how Jesus is the most powerful name you can speak, right? That at the name of Jesus, the demons flee. At the name of Jesus, the mountains are laid low. At the name of Jesus, people are healed. We sing songs about what a beautiful name Jesus is, right? I'll sing it for you right now. Get ready. No. Frank's a beautiful name too, right? (laughs) Why Jesus? Why did he name him Jesus? Listen, God does nothing. I've already said it. God does nothing by accident. His name was Jesus, not just because it was a good name, but there's purpose behind the name Jesus. God does nothing by accident. His, he is a master artist, and the name Jesus fits right into the beautiful mosaic of God's masterpiece. So to answer this question, why did he name him Jesus? We have to go all the way back into the Old Testament again to the very first time this name is mentioned in Scripture. The very first time the name Jesus is mentioned in Scripture. Now, here's, here's where we have to do some, some, uh, some uh, nerding a little bit, okay? So Jesus, I'm just going to share this so, so we can, you understand what's coming. So Jesus is the English word that comes from the Latin word, that comes from the Greek word, that comes from the Hebrew word, okay? Does that make sense? Okay, so here's how it happened. Here's how we got the name Jesus in our English Bible. The, G, the, the Hebrew name for Jesus, the, the name that Mary would have heard the angel speak to her, okay? We put it in that context because Mary would have spoken uh, Hebrew and Aramaic. So the name that Mary would have heard from Gabriel is the word Yehoshua, which is shortened to Yeshua in, in Hebrew, Okay, so that's the Hebrew name Mary would have heard. Now that name was then translated into Greek um, when when the Bible was written in Greek. So that name in Greek is the word Isus. I think is how you pronounce it, Isus. Um, Then that name was transliterated. Okay, so transliterated into Latin when uh, the Bible was written in the Vulgate into Latin. To uh, it was it was a word that sounded a lot like Isus. I believe it was Isuus, Isuus. Okay, then from Latin it was tra- transliterated into English to what we finally hear now in Jesus. Okay, so does everybody understand that? Can we get that out of the way now? All right. So that's how we get the name Jesus. But if you want to go all the way back to the roots of the name Jesus, it is the name Yeshua. Yeshua. That's the name Mary would have heard from the angels, Yeshua. So to answer our question, why was his name Jesus? Why was he named Yeshua? We have to go all the way back to the first place this name was mentioned. And that is back here in between the time Israel has left Egypt and before they step into the promised land. When the Israelites were on the borders of the land of Canaan, Moses, being obedient to God, sent 12 spies into the land of Canaan to seek it out. Everybody familiar with this story? He sends 12 spies in. In scripture, he begins to name the 12 spies and the tribe that they come from. And he begins telling the 12 12 spies and the tribe they came from. At the end of that, he makes this very interesting statement here in Numbers chapter 13, verse 16. 
Moses says, it says this about Moses. It says, these are the names of the men who Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Let me say it one more time. And Moses called Hoshua, the son of Nun, Joshua. How many of you realized that Joshua, who the book was written after, who eventually led Israel into the promised land, that Joshua was not his birth name. His birth name was Hashia. The name his parents gave him was Hashia. But right before Moses sends the 12 spies into the land of Canaan, he changes his name. Moses changes Hashua's name to Yeshua, which in English is Joshua. Why would Moses change his name? Well, let me hear. We're ready to nerd out again. The word Hashua means deliverer, savior, or he rescued. That word he there is not referring to God, but to man. That man rescued. So what Moses does right before he sends the people, the spies, into the land of Canaan, is he changes his name from he rescued to Yeshua, which means Yahweh rescues. It means Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh is deliverer. So what is Moses doing? Moses is saying, listen, we just got delivered from Egypt and we're about to step foot into the promised land. But I want to make sure that you all know that it was not a king who delivered us. It was not a man who delivered us. It was not a commander and an army who delivered us. But it was Yahweh who was our deliverer and who is our savior. So Moses changes his name from Hashua to Yeshua. And the church father, Esubus, says this about this name change. He says, he says, Moses was inspired by the divine spirit to foresee clearly the name of Jesus. And he deemed this name of special honor. Till it was made known to Moses, it had never been on man's lips before. That before Moses changed Hashua to Joshua or Yeshua, that that name was not in existence. That Moses heard from God and gave the name then to Moses or gave the name to Hashua and it became Joshua. He bestowed the name of Jesus on him first of all and only on him who he knew would succeed in type and in symbol after his death. His successor had not previously been called Jesus, but his parents had called him Hashia. So not only did Moses change his name so that the world or so that the, so that Israel would know who their deliverer was. Moses changed the name of Joshua to prophesy of the one that would come and not just deliver Israel, but to deliver all of humanity. And you know, I don't even know if Moses realized what he was doing when he did that. He heard from the Holy Spirit, this name Yeshua, and he names Hashua Yeshua and thus prophesies of a savior that is to come. Hallelujah. Come on. That's good stuff right there. 
Thank you, Jesus. Not only does Joshua, which is Yeshua, become a type and shadow of the true Joshua to come, but his life reflects it as well. You remember how I was telling you these examples that God is leaving these breadcrumbs throughout history of the Savior to come. Well, he does this through the life of Joshua too. How many of you realize that Moses was able to lead the people out of Egypt, was able to lead them through the wilderness, but was never allowed to lead the people into the promised land. That Moses, he could get them so far, but he could only get them to a point, and then that point ended, and he was not able to bring them into the fullness of the promise. But Yeshua, Joshua, was the one who took the mantle from Moses and was able to lead the people finally across the Jordan River, through the Jordan River, into the land of promise, right? Now, how many of you know Moses represents what? The law. Moses represents the law. Jesus, Joshua, represents grace. So what is this story telling us? What is the mosaic this picture is telling us that the story of Joshua is showing us? That what the law was unable to accomplish, Joshua comes along and is able to lead the people to the promised land that flows with milk and honey, with grapes the size of your head. That all of the spiritual gifts and the heavenly blessings from above flow through this man, Jesus. And we are able to obtain the inheritance because what the law could not do, grace through Jesus was able to take us fully in to the promise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Why was his name Jesus? Why was he called Yeshua? Romans 8 tells us what I just said. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son. In the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. The law of Moses did not attain canon, but the grace of God did did. The grace of God did. So they named him Jesus. They named him Jesus. Matthew 1 21. And she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Yeshua. For he will save his people from their sins. Yeshua means Yahweh is salvation. What does God save us from? His name is Yeshua, which is Yahweh is salvation. But what does Yahweh save us from? What well, tells us in this verse, right? That Yahweh comes, that he shall, he shall save us from what? Sin. What is sin? Distorted identity. So Jesus comes and his name is Yeshua because it says that Yahweh is going to save us. And what does he save us from? He saves us from our distorted identity. God did not just come to earth to keep you from moral failure. God came to the earth to declare to you that you are in his image and likeness. 
not only is he here to prevent you from doing bad things, but God has come not just to prevent you from those things. He's come to tell you, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He's come to declare to you, listen, that the unity that the Father, Son, and Spirit share with one another, guess what? You are invited into that fellowship once again. That that distorted identity, that identity that was stripped away from you is now being completely and totally restored. Moral failure and, and, and mess ups and sexual sin and lying and all of those things, those things are definitely an issue of sin, but those are just the fruit. They are not the root. Those are the byproducts of what happens when your identity is distorted. When you don't know who you are, when you don't realize that you are actually a son of God, you realize that we say that all the time. That's not figurative language. That's not some analogy. When we say you are a son and daughter of God, we're talking, you are literally a son and daughter of God. And when that identity is stripped away from you, then all of a sudden the distortion begins to have its effect. And you begin walking in sin. You know that Adam and Eve sinned before. They fell into sin way before they ever took a bite from the apple. Let me, let me show you. I'm jump, I just jumped way ahead in my notes, but that's okay. Let's, let's go there. The other reason, the other reason um, his name is Jesus was not just because our identity was distorted at the fall, but our view of his identity was distorted as well. So when the fall happens, we take on that distorted identity, but we begin viewing the father wrongly as well. And the way we see him becomes distorted. Let me show you what I mean in scripture here in Genesis chapter three. It says this, that the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and listen to this, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The fall happens before Adam and Eve take a bite of the fruit. That was the action of sin. That was the disobedience. But when sin, when hamartia, when that distortion actually happened is when they started to believe the lie that God withholds. That God, it, it, the, the fall happened when they started believing the lie that we weren't already like God. What does the Bible say? That he made us in his image and his very likeness. And then the serpent comes along and says, he doesn't want you to eat the fruit because he knows if you do, you're going to be like him. So then Adam and Eve start thinking, well, wait a minute. I thought God said I already was like him. I thought I was already made in his image. But this guy is saying that God is actually holding a piece of himself back from me. And Adam and Eve fell 
Hamartia entered the picture, not when they took the action, but when they started believing the lie about God. So at the fall, not only was our identity distorted, but the way we viewed God became distorted. See Baxter Kruger in his book, uh, Adam, the undoing, or Jesus, the undoing of Adam. He tells this, he gives this analogy. He says, he says, imagine a little girl going to bed and she believes that there's a monster in her closet. What happens on the inside of that little girl? All the innocence, all the joy, all the peace that she has as a little girl turns into fear and anxiety and pain because she believes that there's a monster in her closet. She's believing a lie that is not true. And what happens when we believe a lie about God is that the joy and the peace and the trust that we have turns into fear and anxiety and worry. And so when we begin to believe the truth or the lie about God that he withholds from us, then we begin to fall into fear, anxiety, and pain. And what happens when you're in fear, anxiety, and distrust? You begin partaking of things you should never partake of. You begin you begin acting in ways that you wouldn't act if you were full of peace and joy and trust. And so our identity was distorted, but so was our view of the father in the fall. So what was God's answer? <laughs> what was God's answer? Yeshua. Yahweh is salvation. What was God's answer? Why did he name him Jesus? Because as soon as the Hebrew speaking people heard the name Yeshua, what they heard was not man saves, was not the king saves. What they heard was Yahweh is our salvation. And the Bible tells us in Colossians that not only did Jesus come to save us from our failures and our sins and to get us into heaven, but it says this in Colossians 1, that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. John chapter 1 verse 18 says this, no one has ever gazed on the fullness of God's splendor except the uniquely beloved son who is cherished by the father and held close to his heart. Now he has unfolded to us the full explanation of who God truly is. John 14, six through seven, Jesus explained, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through union with me. To know me is to know the Father too. And from now on, you will realize that you have seen him and experienced him. So why did Jesus come? He came to redeem our identity, yes. But he also came to declare that Yahweh is salvation. He came to fix our view of who the Father is. That he is not the God who withholds. 
that he, he is the God who gives of abundance, right? That he wants you to have life and have it to its fullness, that he does not withhold from us a single good thing, that everything that is in the heavenly realms, all of the gifts, all of the good things, the Bible tells us are ours. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does the father in heaven give good gifts to his Jesus came not only to fix our identity, but to fix the way we view the Father. That if you don't see it in the person Jesus, it's not in the Father. Jesus, Bill Johnson says it this way. Jesus is perfect theology. That if you want to know what the Father looks like, you don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. If it's not in Jesus, it's not in the Father. And the reverse is true. If it is in Jesus, that's exactly what the Father looks like. And that's why Jesus looked at his disciples and said, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. He came to fix our identity and he came to fix our view of the Father's identity. That God you know, I, and many Christians probably wouldn't admit this or say this, but I know I have seen the father in this light too. That the father is this wrathful being. And thank God Jesus stepped in, took the beating for us that the father wanted to give to us. That is not the father. That the Father loves you with the same love. The Bible says, and I believe it's in John, that he loves you with the same exact love that he loves his son, Jesus. That if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That God is not mad at you. He is not angry. He's not upset. When you sin and you mess up, he's not ready to throw a lightning bolt from heaven. He's ready to do just as Jesus did. That he's willing to sit down with you at the table. He's willing to share in communion with you. Not so that you can go on living in sin, but so that you can be set free and that identity can be restored. His name is Jesus. His name will be called Jesus, which is Yeshua. Yahweh saves. Let's go ahead and stand this morning. Jesus, your name is the most beautiful name in the world. Father, your name is the most powerful name in the world. And Father, we reverence the name of Jesus. And we honor the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you that even in the midst of the fall, you have, you had a plan to restore mankind. And God, that you didn't leave us with questions, but throughout the entire New Test Old Testament, you left breadcrumb after breadcrumb. You gave prophecy after prophecy, telling us of a man who would come. Father, a man that would come that would restore our identity as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Father, that you have told us 
through Jesus that we have been made completely whole. God, it says in Romans, you, you tell us in Romans that, that we are no longer slaves to sin. God, that, 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 that hamartia, that a distorted image no longer has us in its clutch. But Father, you have set us free from that so that we can become slaves to righteousness. Father, that we are holy in your eyes. God, that we have an invitation to share in the communion with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God, I thank you that we are made in your image. And Father, we put away the lie that you withhold anything from us. God, I thank you that not only did you come to restore our image, but you came to restore our image of the Father. God, that you give abundantly to us. You do not withhold. Father, that you love us with the same love that the, that the Father has for Jesus. And God, I thank you for restoring that. God, I pray even this morning, even those who have been Christians for a long time, even those of us who, who are walking in devotion and who are pursuing you, God, I pray that today, God, we would hear the name Jesus in a fresh way. God, that we would hear the name Yeshua in a fresh way this morning. That every time we hear the name Jesus, it would remind us that our identity has been restored and our view of you is made new. God, we love you today. God, I thank you for the wonder of Christmas and all that it means for us. Jesus, let our lives be a life of worship to you every day, every moment. We thank you for Yeshua. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more messages like this or information about our church, please visit harmonychurchfamily.org.